This episode of Info Product Mastery, I chat with Johannes Ketman about his website, Profi.dev. We discuss tactics and techniques to regularly produce content, improve your email list conversion rate, and build a profitable info product company. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 27. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers make life-changing money by building and selling online courses. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And today, we have Johannes Ketman on the show. Johannes runs Profi.dev, and his H1 is, you have no idea what a real-life job as a React developer looks like, and that holds you back. Gain confidence and practice with the React Job Simulator. Johannes provides training to help programmers become professional React developers. His product is currently in early access, and he has some questions related to growing his product and community. Johannes, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, thanks, Adrian. I'm fine. So great to have you here. So before we get into the nitty-gritty details on Profi.dev, can you tell us a bit more about the site? How did you come up with this idea to help people become React developers? And why is your offering different from other websites that provide React training? So, yeah, I'm a self-taught developer myself. I originally studied physics. And after my master's degree, I was a bit bored uh, from standing in the dark lab. But uh, during my university, I picked up some coding skills. So I slowly transitioned to uh, React development and started contracting there. And while I was doing that, I was also building startups with a friend on the side. But none of these really took off. So eventually I found a business course called 30 times 500. And they teach you how to analyze like pain points of online communities of picking a target audience and stuff like this. Yeah. And so after a very drunk night, I uh, had this idea for the React job simulator. I analyzed, like, as I said, the pain points and I found out that many Developers, especially self-taught developers, but also bootcamp grads, they really have problems finding their first job. And uh, yeah, it's kind of this catch-22 situation where without professional experience, you don't get the job. So yeah, I thought, why not provide some kind of training where people can actually experience what it means to be a professional React developer? Yeah, that's kind of the solution. It makes sense. Why... Why do you think it is, though, that these kind of self-taught React developers or, or developers going through these React boot camps, why are they really struggling to find their jobs? Like, what is, what's holding them back? Yeah, I think this is mainly a problem from the, like, from the companies. The companies often, like tech companies, they often want uh, senior developers, like experienced developers who can start being productive very quickly. The junior developers, they don't have this yet, especially if they don't have the experience. And because like software development is a very thought after career path now because of the good earning, lots of people try to break into the industry without experience. So there's like uh, for senior developers, it's easy to find a job. But for junior developers, there's just so many of them. That's like uh, the competition is just too hard. That makes sense. So it's kind of like these, these junior developers, they need a little bit more mentorship before they're ready to go. Yeah, I think that's often the case. Like, for example, you're, you're a developer and the audience is also developers. So things like working with Git, for example, most junior developers don't have experience with that. Maybe they 
they worked on the main branch all the time. Maybe they created some commits. Maybe they pushed even to GitHub or something. But like real developer workflows, that's like not seen most of the times. And when you join a company, then it gets really complicated, like merge conflicts, stuff like this. And yeah, I think it makes sense to, to teach them upfront. So it's better for the companies. They get a, a ready trained developer, but it's also like much better uh, onboarding experience for the junior developers as well. Yeah, I get that. So it's kind of like the ops side of things is where they're, they need that additional training. Yeah, it's ops, but also like I see people in my course struggling with uh, simple CSS issues, for example. Mm, okay. Like they, they use a lot of UI frameworks like uh, Material UI or something like this. And they never built a simple header by themselves. Yeah, they struggle with these issues. And during code reviews, you can also see like other, other things like code smells in React, code formatting is often not so nice. Yeah, there, there are a lot of like technical issues, but also like the more devs side, DevOps side, as, as you said. Gotcha. So you're, what you're doing here with Profi.dev is you're really trying to teach those, those kind of missing skills that maybe they, they didn't pick up on their self-directed, self-taught learning, or maybe they didn't pick up in these boot camps. And you're trying to get them to that, to, to that next level. Yeah, so my approach or like the way I learned to be a professional programmer was on the job. So mm-hmm. basically I, I had a project, I got assigned some tasks. I didn't know how Git works properly or I, I didn't know all this stuff. So I just learned it by doing. And that's also kind of the approach that I'm taking with, with a React job simulator. So what I did here was to, to build a small application, a React Next.js application. I, publish the source code on GitHub. And then when a developer uh, starts, they get a handful of tasks on a Kanban board, as you would also have it in, in most companies, I guess. And they start by working on very small tickets, like bug fixes, here's a typo, or this arrow should turn around when you press this button or something like this. And then they slowly get used to the code base to advanced tools like TypeScript, for example, or Cypress testing, so so pretty advanced things that really can help you actually find a job if you if you know this stuff. Yeah, and so slowly by working on the project, they will get used to a new code base, reading code by another developer, debugging. So all these things that a professional developer has to do on a on a daily basis. Okay, so you've you've found your audience, which these these React developers, and then you found their pain point is like they're really missing that the real world experience to make them go from a you know, junior developer to senior developer to make them more effective in the workforce. And then you've also created these membership programs to help give them that real world work experience. And I was looking at your site and I noticed you have these, these two memberships. It's like a $99 for like a basic membership and they get lifetime access and then like a premium membership, which is $249 for, for lifetime access. Do you want to just kind of talk about these two membership programs you created in your offering? Yeah, so I'm I'm still very much experimenting with my offering. So I had this course online for for a while already, but I rewrote the whole thing, the the application, and and so on. So my initial offering was always ninety nine dollars for a self serve program, and this was always the best received option. Like most people pick that, and then I also experimented with different higher price plans, like the two forty nine premium membership now. Previously, I offered code reviews. So I was going into the code and 
leaving really detailed reviews and uh, improvements, uh, like suggestions for improvements. And this time I try to have like more the mentoring offer where people can get two hours of my personal time to discuss problems. Okay, so like you mentioned an email to me that you you launched this early access, but we're a bit underwhelmed by the, the number of signups. Like what what happened there? What didn't meet your expectations? So in my very first launch, I guess that was two years ago, I had an email list of maybe 300 people or something. And uh, the conversion rate was pretty good. I would say like 5% or 6% actually bought the course. And so I was assuming that this would continue. And now I have a list of 2000 something people. So I was expecting 60 sales or something. And in the end, I ended up with making 11 sales. So okay. that was very disappointing. was also hoping to extend my runway. I'm currently on a longer parental leave and this will end in November. So like $6,000 would have been nice in the bank account. So yeah, kind of dreams imploding here. Yeah, but uh, 60 sales, are like 11 sales is far away from that. Sure. Yeah, I was I was looking at your site though. Where is your traffic coming from? Because on profit.dev, I didn't see like an email opt-in anywhere. Like, do you have like a, a separate blog that people are coming to where you're sharing React content? Like how how are people, you know, one, getting to know who you are, and then two, actually getting on your email list? Yeah, so uh, you already realized that the site is not really cleaned up. Uh, so I don't have a link to the blog. I have some links in the uh, in the footer for to two or three articles, I guess. Okay. But mostly I, I do content marketing. So I have a blog on the site and like publish in irregular intervals, uh, some, some blog posts. Yeah. And then mainly uh, I promote them to my email list and then on the React.js subreddit and on DevToe, this content publishing website for developers. Usually like if, if the blog posts do really well and resonate with the audiences there, then they get upvoted. And a few of my articles were pretty quickly picked up by Google and started ranking for search results. So currently, I don't get a lot of traffic, but like 6,000 visitors from Google, I guess. And then like in total, it's 10,000, some from Reddit, from Reddit searches probably. Okay. So you get this, you get this blog, people are able to find it for either from Google or from from Reddit or, you know, these content sharing sites for, for developers effectively. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What's your, what's your consistency with the blogging? Is it intermittent? Like when, when you feel inspired, is it weekly? Is it bi-weekly? How, how often are you creating this content? I tried creating it weekly for some time, but yeah, stuff happens. Like I have two little kids and things just change very quickly. So sometimes I don't blog for two months and then I put out some content like on a weekly basis. It, uh, like I'm, I'm not very consistent here. Also, when I get a new contract job, for example, I will have to turn down again a bit of blog posting. Yeah, I'm actually not sure if that's a problem that, that would be just, uh, interesting to get your perspective on. Yeah, from, from my perspective, consistency is just key from content marketing. And that doesn't mean you have to like plan out your life such that every Monday morning you're working on a blog post such that it can be published on on Wednesday. Like I like to think of these things in terms of seasons. So there's a season of the year for content creation. And there's a season of the year for for marketing and maybe even a season of the year for advertising if you're if you're doing advertising. So when I when I go into content creation mode, I'm blocking off, you know, three months where I'm just gonna 
create as much content as I possibly can. So when I'm in preseason mode, I'm using tools like Moz or Hrefs or SEMrush. I'm looking for, for keywords I feel confident that I can rank for in Google. And if I have a low domain rate, then I might go for these long tail keywords. Or if I think that my domain rank is high enough, then I might start targeting these, these heavier keyword dense search results. And then I'll, I'll sit down, I'll just brainstorm like a list of blog posts that I'm an author. And let's just say that during a three month period, you're going to author 52 blog posts, one for every week of the year. So going into that season, you know, I would have that master list ready to go. I would have my templates ready to go for my, for my blog post. All I have to do is clone a Google Doc and just start filling in details and start writing content. And for me personally, the way I like to write is I'll batch it into, say, five or 10 posts a week. And on Monday, I will write the intro and conclusion to all 10 pieces. And then the next day, I'll insert all the code snippets and, you know, write all the code snippet explanations and, and concepts and tutorials. And then finally, the last step I'll do is add in the, the images and the figures or any like terminal output results, those, those types of things. And what I'm doing there is I'm, I'm batching all of this. So there's zero context switching in my head at all. I'm always focused on that singular task of, oh, today is intro conclusion day or today is code explanation day. And it helps my brain stay right in that very specific mode. And doing that, I, I'm able to produce like 10 pieces a week. And if you do that for a couple months, well, bam, all of your, your content is done for the entire year. And all you got to do from there is like schedule it. And you know you could schedule it yourself. You could hire a, a VA off off Upwork. So for for me, like I would strongly suggest thinking of of this as as seasons. Block off that time to be like, okay, this is content season. I need to get my content done for the next six months or for for the entire year. And then once that task is done, then you can move on to other areas of the business that you want to further optimize. That sounds actually quite smart because like one of my problems is uh, definitely context switching. So. Like I write a blog post and I need time for that, like the research. And if you want it to be popular, then you need to put in the research and produce quality content. So that takes time, obviously. And yeah, I find when I'm, for example, still doing preparation work for, for the course or improving the course and having to do content writing and promotion and something on top, then this gets really difficult. And like uh, my mind is just scattered. So everything takes much longer. but. In the end, like at the stage that I am at now, uh, I, I cannot afford anyone, like maybe a VA, I'm, I'm not sure. But apart from that, I, I cannot afford a team or anything. So I have to do certain things at the same time. Do you have any tips for like not switch context too much, but uh, still be able to do the other, the rest of the work? One thing that I think is really, really important is to create like a, a master checklist for each, you know, task in your business. So I use Trello and I love Trello. So I'll have a, a Trello card that for each podcast I record, for example, like there'll be tasks related to outline the episode and then, you know, record the episode, hand that off to your editor. Editor creates the show notes and then that goes to the person who schedules all the social media posts. So at any point in time, all I have to do is look at that Trello board and I will know exactly what status every podcast episode is in. So if you have this kind of master checklist, it reduces that that context switching dramatically because you're not searching around for where you are. You're not opening up Google Docs or Google Drive to figure out where you left off. You're not going to GitHub to, to look at, 
the source code example. You're not logging into like Hootsuite or Meet Edgar to see where a, a social me- media post is scheduled because that's that's context switching. It's taking you away, and it, it also just increases the risk of distraction. Of like all of a sudden you accidentally end up on Twitter, so you're like, man, did that post go out or not? And then like 30 minutes goes by, and like you've doom scrolled through all of Twitter, and now like your your brain is a wreck, and you can't get back to to actual work. So that's my first suggestion. The other suggestion, and and this is something that I've done for 10 or 12 years now, I think it's one of the key reasons that I'm ultimately where I am today, is that on on Sundays, I like to do my my master planning for the week. So I I dedicate a half hour, and I open up my Trello board from the previous week. I look at my like list of tasks that I needed to get done. It's just a single card with a long checklist. And I go through that list. I'm like, hmm. What did I not get done that needs to get done this following week? And what things did I do that I really shouldn't have done that didn't actually move the business forward? And I'll like, just open up a new doc and just maybe write two or three paragraphs about that. And then from there, I'll create a bulleted list of these are the tasks that I'm going to get done this week that will move my business forward. And I try and be really, really strict about only putting on tasks that'll actually move it forward. I'm trying not to get so sucked into these quote unquote like urgent but non-essential tasks, you know? And I'm I'm trying to focus on the content because I know content is absolutely key to to an info product business. So what can I do to move the content forward? What can I do to move the marketing forward? Will writing a new email sequence like a like a crash course campaign is that something that will move the business forward and make more sales? So I'll spend 30 minutes doing that. And I'll create a master checklist of anywhere between, I'd say like 20 to 25 items that goes into a Trello card. And that's my master checklist for the week. And then every day I peel off the three big things that I'm going to get done for that day that come hell or high water. These things will get done no matter what. And I'm going to commit to making sure they get done. And then maybe I'll peel off one or two like extra tangential, like nice to have things. But I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't you know, complete those nice to have tasks. But those three big tasks, they need to get done. And I, I commit to getting them done. Now, the nice thing about that is that when you, if you do it correctly, when you log off Sunday, you have your three big things already set and ready to go for Monday morning. So you don't have to check that master checklist. Like you just look at those three big things and start executing on them immediately. And then when Monday is done and you sign off, you pick off your three big things for Tuesday and you do that do that for the rest of the week. For me, if you do that, I mean, literally years on end, that creates this style of the borrow phrase from from Rob Walling from startups to the rest of us. It's this relentless execution. You show up every day, you do the hard work that moves your business forward, and then you have the discipline to recover for the next day to get some rest, but also knowing that you have another three big things to do that next day. You do that day after day, week after week, year over year, you develop a superpower that makes you unstoppable because that's a habit that takes time to build. But once it's there, I mean, you move mountains and it's it's incredible. So I try to teach that sort of framework or style of thinking to anyone who, who says they're having problems with focus or, or context switching. Just remove the barriers to you completing those tasks as much as possible and you'll ultimately be more successful. That sounds really interesting. Like uh, it's a very common problem, I guess, right? Like uh, I hear it all all the time in other content creator communities that, especially when people go full time on on their project for the first time, and suddenly, like it's first they had three hours a day to work on it, and they were super focused and super efficient, 
and then they have eight hours and nothing works anymore. So it's it's kind of like a retrospective plus planning session for the next week, right? Yeah, and I I had a team member a few years ago where he was just really struggling to focus and get get work done, and he'd been with the team for three or four years. He was super reliable, always did a great job, but this is the beginning of COVID and you know, his life was just like starting to, to fall apart a little bit. They were him and his wife were trying to move across country and like the pandemic really, really hit them hard from a from a mental point of view. And he was telling me like, Adrian, like I'm I'm working these like 10 or 12 hour days and I'm not getting as much done. And then at the end of the day, I'm sitting on my couch watching TV with my wife and I can't calm down. I can't relax. I'm I can't watch the TV or read my book because I'm like staring at my office door thinking of all the work that I have to get done, the work that I didn't get done today that needs to get done tomorrow. I said, dude, just stop working 10 or 12 hour days. In fact, I want you to start working five or six hour days and be really strict about that and cut yourself off after five or six hours. You're giving yourself too much time in the day to wander and to be unfocused. But actually by reducing the number of hours you work, you can be immensely more productive. And that's, that's very similar to what you're talking about when people switch from being you know, part-time on a business to going full-time. You know, they, in some cases, double or triple the amount of time they spend in their business on a day. And they end up doing these tasks that they think is working, but isn't really. It doesn't push the business forward, but it takes time and it takes their mental energy. In that case, it's far better just to pick off the three big things that you want to get done. They'll move the business forward do them and then sign off for the day if you can't keep yourself focused. There will be these times where you could be immensely productive for 10, 12 hours at a time, but that's not sustainable. You can't do that in the long run. So if you think you're having an issue with quote unquote too much time, trim down the number of hours you work and you'll likely be more productive. Yeah, luckily I, I don't have that much of a problem with that because my time is very limited due to the kids, but uh, yeah, I just uh, see other people uh, having having this problem all all the time. Have you done anything with LinkedIn, like sharing your content or LinkedIn or trying to build like a LinkedIn audience? And not consistently and not uh, super actively. So I, I share my stuff from time to time on LinkedIn and sometimes it gets some results, sometimes nothing. So just yesterday I shared something there and like got, I don't know, nine nine likes or something. So nothing spectacular. Yeah, I'm, uh, like social media is a bit, yeah, I, I find it very difficult, like Twitter, for example, as well, because you, you get the notifications, I turned them off, uh, luckily, but still like there's the feeling that you should check your notifications or did somebody like it? Did somebody answer something or comment or whatever? So yeah, I, I find that very hard. And in contrast, like Reddit, I find that easier that you post it. You also get comments, obviously, but you don't have to build this audience slowly because like if people like your content, they upvote it and then it pops up at the top of Reddit. So I find that much easier. I plan to get more into social media, but at the time I find it more of a time thing for me personally. It's very distracting, but yeah, maybe eventually I will get, uh, my idea was actually to get a VA at some point and handle this like social media sharing for me because like I, can't really deal with that. You know, I'm, I'm with you there. I really just deplore social media. I, I can't, I just can't do it. Like, I grew Pioneer Search like Twitter following to like 25,000 people before the business was acquired. And it was just brutal. Like, I understand why people 
really like Twitter and use Twitter, it's not for me. I don't see much business value whatsoever in Twitter. It's just audience building and it's just noise on Twitter. There's there's not a lot going on. But I will say on LinkedIn, that's not as prevalent on LinkedIn. And I, I had Avery Smith on a few episodes ago. And anyone listening to this episode, like, please go back to listen to that show with Avery because it was amazing. He's built like this huge audience on LinkedIn and he makes sales directly from LinkedIn, not like through Messenger, but just by posting a lot, like posting quality content and then every now and then inserting these these pitches or inserting social proof of people how they became like successful data scientists after going through his, his data science uh, academy. He had a lot of really good experience on LinkedIn. And I think that's because people on LinkedIn, they're more professionals. They're there to learn a skill or to get a new job or you know, whatever professional development is going on in their life. With Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, that's not really the case. And like, it's hard to be pitching like your product when like they're scrolling through photos of their friends' dogs or their, or their friends' babies, right? It's just your brain just isn't in, oh, let's go purchase a development course right now mode. Like it, 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 just, it just doesn't click. It doesn't, it doesn't jive. I only bring up the LinkedIn thing because I do see a lot of value in building a, a quality LinkedIn list. I, I spoke to a person who has over 100,000 YouTube subscribers and I said, wow, that's, that's fantastic. You must like be able to like have a nice living from ad revenue alone. He was like, no, actually not at all. That YouTube audience doesn't really convert well. I would much rather have 10,000 quality LinkedIn followers. They do far better. So from a social media perspective, like honestly, just the 80-20 principle to me for, for a developer in the info product space, I mean, I think LinkedIn is the place you go. Yeah, I, I listened actually to that episode and it, it was really interesting. And that's also why the reason why I shared this blog post yesterday on LinkedIn. Because like I'm also struggling a bit to find my audience online because like uh, I have very narrow focus. So junior developers or aspiring junior developers who are good enough to take my course, but not too good so that it's not interesting for them anymore. And right. on LinkedIn, actually, that might be a really good place to to start looking because there people actually look for jobs. They connect with recruiters and companies. So they should be active on LinkedIn and also interested to see content there. So I will definitely give that a try. Certainly. Like what what questions or problems are you having right now that maybe maybe I could help you with or hopefully point you in the right direction? Yeah. So as I said, my, my goal is to make a living from, from this. I want to stop uh, contract or, or freelancing. And uh, like, I would need to make 5000 to $7,000 per month, I guess. And now I'm not sure how to continue. I guess one, one thing we already talked about is just content creation. So that was one thing. Uh, should I really focus on producing just more content, more content? And it sounds like I should. Then there's a second thing, of course, like, when you have the content, you also want uh, people to convert to your list, right? And I check my conversion rates to my newsletter and like from Google traffic or general traffic, it's like starting at 0.1% going up to, I don't know, 1.5% or something. And I have no idea if this is like super bad or like a good conversion uh, ratio. What do you think about that? I mean, 0.1% would be, would be really bad. I would be trying to convert at least like one to five percent of your of your visitors into into subscribers. You know that 
whenever I'm working on a project, like that's what I'm trying to trying to obtain. So I'm wondering maybe if like your email opt-ins, you know, they're not resonating with your audience that comes to your site. Like what email opt-ins are you currently offering? So I'm also experimenting with that a bit. Before I had mostly uh, email opt-ins that were tied to the to the article that I wrote. So a PDF, for example, or something like this, relatively small and easy to create. Uh, some of them actually did well, like in the 1% range. Some of them didn't. And yeah, like one reason I'm, I'm actually checking that out currently, I have one blog post about React folder structures, for example, which ranks quite well. And people who are coming there could be from different audiences, right? Like uh, they could be professionals who built a new company product or like want to refactor something. They could be people who learn junior developers who want to build their personal products. So I, I created like a small survey box where people can select what, why they are interested in this. And it seems like most of the users are actually professionals. So that obviously means that I guess I have like an email course offering there and it makes sense that that doesn't resonate with this audience, obviously. So yeah, with other blog posts, it's, it's a bit easier. Like they are directly focused on, on this, on the right audience. And then the conversion rates are usually also better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still experimenting and also trying to improve my opt-ins. That makes sense. And I, I think you're absolutely on the right track of kind of having a unique targeted opt-in for each, each of your blog posts that really does well instead of having a more, you know, generic kind of catch-all opt-in that's kind of slapped at the bottom of the blog post saying like, hey, join our, join our newsletter. You know, that's the join our, our newsletter is kind of like the bare bones minimum that I think you, you can get away with. And I, I like the idea of having these like targeted like PDFs per post. Are you, are you reviewing any like code snippets in your blog post or, or anything like that? Do you mean if I add code snippets to the blog post? In your blog post, are you explaining how a piece of code works, like including a piece of code in the blog post and then reviewing it and explaining what this function does or what this line does or what this class does? Is is any of that going on inside your content? Yeah, for sure. Like I, I have some blog posts that are more career focused, but I also have like tutorial kind of blog posts where I explain how to test a React application, for example. So there will be lots of code and I also prepare GitHub repository often for that so people can follow along. Yeah, so I definitely have that. How do the users obtain the GitHub repo URL? Is it just you just link to it from the blog post? Yes. Put that behind email opt-in. Don't offer it publicly. Just have an opt-in that says like, grab the source code to, to this post, grab the GitHub project to this post, have them enter in their email address, and then in the confirmation email, just send them to GitHub URL. You know, some people like, I mean, developers are smart. So some of them will be like, I don't want to give up my email address. And maybe they already know your GitHub profile and they could find it. Maybe they like do a Google site search and find it. But the majority of people who are actually interested in that code are going to enter in their email address. That is your unique opt-in for those tutorial posts. I, I was talking to a guy who implemented that, the email opt-in suggestion of keeping the code you know, behind that behind that email wall. He increased his email conversion rates by 50% just by making that simple switch. And the nice thing there is at least like if people are joining your email list by entering their email to grab the code, you know they're developers, you know they're professionals, you know they are interested in the content you're developing. So that kind of helps create a quality email list over time. Okay, yeah. 
That makes sense. The other thing you might want to do is after they confirm their email address on like the thank you page, embed your survey there and try and like do your segmentation. Like figure out are they a professional? Are they like students? Are they just like hobbyists having fun with React? Because at that point, they again, they raised their hand and said, hey, Johannes, I am interested in this content. I am interested in this code. On that thank you page, they are very engaged. So there's a really good likelihood that they'll like click through whatever survey you have there, especially if you pitch it as a benefit to them. So you could say something like, tell me more about yourself so I could provide you with the content you'll need to be successful. And then you could ask, like, are you a developer? Are you a student? Et cetera. Like, what, why are you learning React? What are your biggest problems with React? All that could sync to your database. And that's valuable information you could pull from when you're when you need to write copy or, or create sales messaging. Yeah, true. Like during my launch, I actually had the problem of like way lower open rates than I expected and way lower, like the open rates were actually the problem, I guess. And that points to like an unsegmented audience or untargeted email list, I would say. So are you sending emails regularly to your to your audience or is it kind of like your blog post where it's intermittent? Yes. I'm sharing usually my, my blog post with my audience. So it's also yeah. irregular. I mean, I, I think you're going to get a huge win just from regularly posting content and regularly sharing emails. Like you do that on a, a weekly basis. You're practically like training people to be like, oh, it's Monday at 10 a.m. Johannes is going to email me and share his, his latest tutorial. So you're super engaged customers. They'll have their inbox open waiting for that email or they'll be on your site refreshing, waiting for that next blog post. That's the type of urgency. That's the type of person you want on your site because they're super, super engaged and much more likely to convert into a customer. So anything you could do to facilitate that, you should do. The other thing like you might want to look into is this concept of a shadow newsletter where someone joins your, your email list and sure, you send some introductory emails saying like, hey, this is who I am. This is what you can expect by being on my email list. Oh, by the way, here's like, five of my like top favorite tutorials or, or whatever. So you have an email, intro email sequence. But then you add them into kind of this like evergreen newsletter sequence. And you share maybe like 30 of your top favorite posts over however many years you've been running your business. So like, let's say you've been doing your, your business for two years. You've authored 100 pieces of content. And you're going to pick the top 30 ones that you know resonate with people. And you're just going to drip those out to your subscribers once a week. So if you don't have a sale going on or anything, every week they'll get one of those emails. But if you want to run a sale, you want to share something, a new piece of content, you know, you pull them out of that evergreen sequence for a bit, blast them that new email, like your new weekly blog post email, and then pull them back into the to the evergreen sequence after that. So they're always getting an email like every Monday at, at 10 a.m. or something. So that's another way that you can kind of create this like this concept of constant publishing. Because if you already have a library of quality pieces, there's no reason why you can't reuse that and send them to people. Because most people, realistically, they're not going to click through your blog archive and look for every single blog post or read every single blog post. So that kind of gives you an excuse to get in their inbox and share tutorials that you've written previously. Okay, that, that was actually one question of mine. Like, if I have such an evergreen email sequence, then if I write a new blog post, I obviously want to share it with them. So you say you just stop the sequence for a week, then push out the new blog post and then start it again. Yeah. So if you're using any type of modern like SaaS email app like Drip or 
convert kit or active campaign, all of that's easy because you, you just run a bulk operation, take all the subscribers from the evergreen sequence, send them this broadcast. And then once the broadcast is done, you throw them back into the, into the evergreen sequence and tell the campaign to pick up from wherever the subscriber left off. Pretty much all of your popular email automation services have that tool. Okay, I have to check that out. I'm using MailerLite. You know that? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, I guess it's a bit cheaper, so that's that's why I picked it. And like the content editor was also nice at the time. Yeah, I might. I might suggest checking out ConvertKit. It's not very expensive, and it gives you a ton of tools and automations and rule-based systems like if this, then do that style editors, and that's that's phenomenal. That gives you so much more control over what your what your subscribers are receiving. Okay, I will check that out. Cool. Any other questions? Maybe one question. Now my, as I said, my parental leave is almost over, so I'm running out of runway. Do you have any like quick wins that I could use to push some sales now in the, in the near future, like within the next month or something? I was, for example, thinking of collaboration with other bloggers, so to share my content on their their email list. But I'm not sure how much effort that would be, and I don't want to distract myself from publishing new content. I mean, I think collaboration is super important from a growth perspective, especially in the early days where maybe some other blogger you're friends with has a larger audience and you can leverage that to kind of get your name out there and grow your own email list. That's important. With your current situation, though, like I wouldn't recommend doing that because you need to get your own content creation schedule working and humming and, and churning along. You know, that that should be the biggest priority right now is try and get that working. And then once you know you can reliably produce like one piece of content a week or one piece every two weeks, then you start thinking more about, oh, do I have the brain space? Do I have the mental capacity to produce more content for a site that isn't my own? And if you do, okay, then start exploring that collaboration. I don't think that's going to give you a quick win, though. That takes time to do. It takes practice. It takes building that, that relentless habit to ultimately execute on. If, if you want like easy wins, the first thing I suggested is put like your, your GitHub URLs behind an email opt-in. That'll help you grow, grow your list. That's like probably the 80-20 the of this, this entire episode besides kind of creating this master checklist for, for content creation and starting to work on that. You could consider offering like a discount on your existing products, like, like a 10%, 20% off coupon and like offer like a four or five day sale. That could give you a few additional sales. You also could consider if you feel your product is mature enough and like you're not doing tons of updates to it and people are getting value of it, then you can move your product out of early access and do what's called a reverse sale. So if your membership is $99 for lifetime, you could say, hey, I'm upping the price to $125 for lifetime access. The product is is complete. People are getting value out of it. I need to to raise prices on it. If you do that, then you drive the urgency of, hey, I need to purchase this thing before it becomes more expensive. So that could be a good way to, to get a few more sales. But ultimately, I mean, in your case, I wouldn't really worry about the, the short-term game too much. I would focus on the long-term game. I'd focus on the, the long-term game of what decisions can I make that'll make this business sustainable and enable me to quit my job or quit my freelancing gig so that it becomes my full-time position. If you focus on that, that's the ultimate desirable income. If you get a little extra money from sales, like 
whatever, that money is going to be gone in a couple months anyway. What you really should be focusing on is how do I make this long-term sustainable so that I can quit all my other jobs or my side hustles and make this my one and only thing. To me, like that's where I would put all, all my eggs. I'd be less concerned about getting a little extra money in the bank real quick. Okay, so basically push out more content, write content, write content, and then a bit of conversion rate optimization. Yeah, do a season of, of content development where you commit to releasing one piece a week. See how that resonates with your audience. Maybe by doing that, you find like there's another area of your business that you didn't consider was that relevant. But it turns out a lot of people want to hear about that. You won't find that out unless you're creating content in the first place. Because what happens is you develop a small audience, they visit your site, they read your content, and then maybe they email you or leave a blog post comment and say, hey, really appreciate this article. Have you done anything with XYZ? And then maybe you start noticing a pattern where two or three other people are requesting that same topic. And you would never in your life thought you would cover that topic, but you clearly have a need for it on your audience. And then you pivot a little bit and start writing content about that. Creating an info product business, like a, a one that you could truly operate and have a reliable full-time income, it does take time. And it does take that discipline to create that content. Okay. Thanks a lot. Of course. I think that's a, a really good place to, to wrap up this episode, Johannes. If people want to chat or connect, what's the best place to reach you at? So first they can check out profi.dev and then connect with me on Twitter, for example. My tag is J underscore Ketman, A-E-T-T-M-A-N-N. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today, Johannes, and absolutely keep in touch. I'm excited to see what you come up with next. Yeah, thanks a lot for the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review in whatever podcatcher app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.